0: Hi friends, welcome back. My guest today is me, (laughs) kind of. This episode was originally recorded on Ben Coomber's show, Ben Coomber Radio. He invited me on to talk about drinking halfway through lockdown, or maybe a third of the way through lockdown, to just discuss how people were using alcohol to deal with difficult times. And seeing as we're about to reopen, pubs are reopening in the UK, I know that bars are in America as well, I thought that now would actually be a really good time to just remind ourselves of how we are using alcohol in our lives. It's going to be a really dangerous period over the next month where you might take some liberties with your health, with your drinking, with the habits that you've created that are good during lockdown and perhaps actually undo some of that great work. So I wanted to publish this episode first because Ben's a great host and I really enjoyed this and I've been meaning to put it out for a while. But I also thought that it would be a really good primer for a lot of you as we get back into normality, right? Let's not use this period to fall back into bad habits. You've potentially done some amazing work with building fantastic routines during lockdown. So let's stay uh, conscious of those, right? Let's be deliberate and intentional with our actions. So. This is an episode where I am being hosted by Ben. Um, I really hope that you enjoy it. We have some really cool conversations. There's a lot of um, questions I push back on some of Ben's uses of alcohol, uh, and then he gives some great counterpoints as well. So it's a lot more talking from me, uh, which you may enjoy or you may hate. But um, yeah, I might do this a little bit more. When I feature on other people's shows that I enjoy, I might put an episode uh, across onto Modern Wisdom. So let me know what you think of this. In other news... The Modern Wisdom Patreon is launching this Monday, the 6th of July. I am so excited to get this going. We are launching a brand new patron-only series, Recap 101, and 102, 103, where I will cover the last few months of Modern Wisdom, behind the scenes, what I thought of guests, uh, what happened before and after episodes, and that is going to be only available On the Patreon. You can also get access to be able to vote on upcoming guests and topics that you want me to reach out to. There's the opportunity even to get a shout out on an episode and the absolute top tier, you can even become a researcher for the show. So there are tons of ways that you can get involved and any support that you can give the show would be massively appreciated. This is just me and Video Guy Dean doing our thing and if you love the show as much as I love creating it, any support that you can give would be amazing. So get ready for that. Patreon launches this Monday. Info will be in the intro before the episode and on my Instagram at chriswillx. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult, and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, They will give you a new one for free. Get a 15% discount site wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cdwisdom and using the code MW15 at checkout. That's bit.ly slash letter c, letter d, wisdom, and MW15. At checkout. All right, quick maths the less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money. Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But for now, it's time for the wise and wonderful Chris Williamson. (laughs)
1: Hey everyone, Vancouver Radio. What is happening? As is the theme with a lot of these podcasts during this lockdown period, we're kind of ignoring it. Like it's just happening, but just you know, just pretend it's not there. Let's just let's just look to move forward. Let's look to improve areas of our lives that we can. Let's look to muse, and we will be doing that today. Uh, there's not many guests that was returned to the show. There's probably been about six over the years that have returned to the show but I was watching uh, Chris, I was watching his Instagram stories the other day and he was talking about a topic I've been thinking about a lot about recently and it's been covered in the news quite a bit because obviously people are locked at home and what's now happening is our uh, our kind of habits, our beliefs, our environments they've kind of compounded, they've intensified because we're at home and whether that's a positive. Or a negative thing, it's either become more positive or more negative. And I thought the topic of alcohol and our relationship with it was something that I wanted to go further down the rabbit hole with. And on the first episode of this show with Chris, uh, we talked about it. We only really spent sort of about 10 minutes on it. And having watched uh, Chris's Instagram story, no, uh, it was just a post on uh, Instagram, I think. I was like, yes, let's go there. Chris, get back on the show. So, Chris Williamson. Welcome back to
0: the show. Great honour, mate. Doubled up. Two
1: episodes. What can I
0: say? Yeah, man, absolute (laughs) pleasure to be back on and uh, looking forward to talking about something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. So, yeah, let's get into it.
1: Why do you continue to think about it?
0: I think that a lot of people's alcohol use is habituated rather than chosen. That's the bottom line. I think most people drink because... Other people did, and then they started to. which is a societal norm. And then you roll the clock forward by five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, and you've taken a drug, you can call it what it is, alcohol is a drug, you've taken a drug more frequently than once every fortnight for decades. Like if you, if you just arrived on Earth and were like, what are some of the rules about how you operate as a human? Some alien civilization comes down here in the UFO and you say, oh, well, there's this and you do and this that you do and you got to walk on your feet and you just gravity and all this sort of stuff. And then you go, oh yeah, by the way, there's this drug that you take and you, you kind of, you kind of not forced to take it. It will shorten your life. Also, it gives you memory loss. Also, it makes you fat. Also, it makes you want to eat and it makes you feel like depressed and terrible the next day. But you're gonna, you're gonna have it more than you're gonna choose to have it more than uh, once every two weeks. And then, yeah, I mean look at what's happened with lockdown, man. There's the biggest uproar in America. One of the biggest uproars in America was when the government threatened to make off licenses, like liquor stores, they'd call them, uh, non-essential and shut them down. And there was people hoarding alcohol. Uh, What does that tell us? It tells us that people struggle to get through hard times without the buttress, the scaffolding that is alcohol. So I think about it a lot. And then Um, I have sixmonthsober.com, which is an online course I made to help guide people that just want to deprogram their use of alcohol, not for people that have substance abuse problems, but just for people who want to use the foundation of consistency that sobriety gives you to then build yourself uh, and improve yourself. And I'm, you know, I'm 20 months sober as of last week. Um, And I just it's so bizarre that going sober has got an addictive essence to it because you see the consistency you have, you have more time, you have more money, you have more calories to spend on things that you truly care about. And then you realize that when you choose to reintegrate drinking, if you choose to reintegrate drinking, that it's on your terms. You know, that you are in full control. Because you've deprogrammed the need to feel worried that you can't you can go on a night out with your buddies and then say, why wow, are you not drinking? Or you've deprogrammed the need to feel like you need alcohol to give you confidence to go up and talk to that girl or that guy or to just be in a group or because you taste buds have become accustomed to having like a, uh, and you're a sparkling water fan, aren't you? Have I yes. seen you talk about spot? Spark- yeah. So, you know, to just be able to get away with a, a LaCroix or whatever it might be, a San Pellegrino or whatever at the table, instead of getting a bottle of wine in. So you do all this deprogramming and you realize, hang on, I'm actually now re-released into the world and I've got full control as opposed to thinking that I've got control. Right? So, yeah, that's it, man. That's
1: foundation, base. That's
0: what we're talking about.
1: So before we go on and go down a couple of rabbit holes, let's do a quick elevator pitch. Some people have not listened to my show before. Some people might not know who you are. What is the Chris Williamson elevator pitch? Who is Got this, you. man?
0: Okay. A business owner from Newcastle, club promoter, run nightclubs for 13 years. I've seen a million drunk people go in and out of them. So I understand how alcohol works, I understand what party life is, for a very long time was the party boy, I was the dickhead club promoter, the guy around town, big dick on campus, all this stuff, Um, did Take Me Out, got to go to Fernando's and meet Paddy McGuinness, great, did Love Island, got to meet Caroline Flack and go to the Villa, uh, also great, fantastic, blue tick on Twitter, you know, all all the big things, big headlines um then started modern wisdom which is my podcast started that two and a half years ago just crossed two million downloads which is fantastic aided in a big way by yourself giving me a platform early on while we were doing that and drove a lot of plays off the back of that so i have a lot to thank you for on that ben um and then that's it man i just i'm curious as fuck like i just i just want to know about everything i'm super super curious and that has led me I've got a a desire with performance and and productivity and and, optimizing as well. Not super like quantified self stuff, but you know, I like to get better and I like, I have a growth mindset. And uh, that just meant I started playing around with loads of different things, loads of different ways to improve my life with intermittent fasting and different ways of changing your sleep up and all these sort of things. And one of the most effective things that I found was going sober, despite the fact that I was a very infrequent drinker, I still found huge gains from it. And I guess that's the route into how sobriety came in there. Uh, but yeah, that's it. And we're now on the 13th floor, and you can step out onto your, uh, onto your veranda or wherever we are in
1: this elevator. So you bring up an interesting topic there because I've just started talking to a therapist again. And uh, I went to this therapist and said, I don't have a problem, I'm not in pain, I don't need anything primarily like solving. But right now, I feel like I'm in a really good place with everything, my body, my mind, my business. I'm really balanced and, you know, I'm really happy. And I get that I'm very fortunate for a couple of reasons due to that. And I don't want to kind of deliberate on that because we're in lockdown and I live in the countryside and I'm not in a stuffy flat and all these things. But I've worked hard, in my opinion, on my mental game to be really content with wherever I am in life. So I went to this therapist and I started chatting to her and I said, I'm here because I want to understand if I actually know my truth and it's not any element of my ego sort of disguising my own wisdom. I almost want you to like catch me out. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking through these different layers, we started to talk about our character traits and I resonate with you because I think we're, we're quite similar. We, we love exploring the mind. We just love personal development And there was a point in the conversation where it's almost like you become, you try and aim to become so pure and so understood and so balanced and so consistent that do you lose yourself in it? And that do you forget to relax and have fun and chill out? And Because my therapist used an example that she loves to be really organised and I do as well. And it's like we were almost joking about how we like to organise our downtime and I just said to her, I was like, do I, am I forgetting how to relax? Like, do I, and it was really interesting. to so hearing you talk about you just being like fully in control and immersed and having a routine, like how does that narrative sit to you? Do you feel like you're living every sense of kind of your life and in, in all this kind of optimization that is almost, are you standing back enough to just sort of be present? I don't know. Do you get where I'm going? No,
0: I totally understand your question, man. I think the first thing for anyone that's new or experienced to the self-development world to appreciate is that there's layers to this game, you know? There is – and it is an onion. And unfortunately, it's an endless onion. You peel away some persona, you get rid of – you strip away some ego, and you're like, yes, yes, that's that's it. That's me. I'm at the core. And you're like, ah, wait, hang on. And you realize – and the way to work this out is – Do you think that you 12 to 24 months ago on balance was actually a little bit of an idiot and always, always, that's the case. You're like, fuck God, I thought I had it figured out. I thought I had it figured out two years ago and look what's happened. I'm still, I'm still, you know, I didn't know anything. It's like in two years time, you're going to look back at the person that you are now and you're going to say the same thing, Um, which is both a blessing and a curse. Because if you're constantly growing inevitably you're going to leave old versions of yourself behind right and the way that our lives work as well there's epochs of our life these kind of like maybe between two and five year segments i think that we move through where we we could bunch together a a, a common story you know like a, a theme that 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 two to five years has got and then it's okay and then i'm on to this bit and i'm on to this bit and i'm on to this bit and uh, that's real typical right so that's the first thing um, second thing there's this quote from uh, an ancient philosopher i'm going to see if i've got down here for you let me see if i can find you this so i'm reading one of the best articles that i've ever read at the moment and um what they talk about is how spontaneity is actually created through discipline in the beginning right? And that sounds, that sounds a little bit bizarre. You're like, well, hang hang on. Spontaneity and discipline to me are two different things. Like how can you have a situation where you, um, how can you have a situation where you have a very structured life and you are constantly, I know how much I'm going to eat. I know what time I'm going to wake up. I've got my morning routine and my evening routine and my work routine. And this is how my desk's set and all the rest of this stuff. And, um, how can I allow that or how does that mix in with other things? And there's this Wu uh, Wei, there it is. So there's a, a quote from, and this is a guy called Kyle N. Schroeder who wrote the article. And um, it's so good. So, in the early stages of training, an aspiring Confucian gentleman needs to memorize entire shelves of archaic texts learn the precise angle at which to bow and learn the lengths of steps with which he is to enter the room. His sitting mat must always be perfectly straight. All of this rigor and restraint, however, is ultimately aimed at producing a cultivated but nonetheless genuine form of spontaneity. Indeed, the process of training is not considered complete until the individual has passed completely beyond the need for thought or effort. And this ties in with the way that the brain works as well. Anybody that's read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman knows this. You've got the instinctive response, which is your system one. And then you've got the slower, more considered response, which is number two. Now, what you need to do and what a lot of routines do is they actually pull you out of the first type of thinking. They pull you out of that. They stop you from having just the visceral response, the instinctive response. You become more considered. And yeah, you have to go through sometimes an almost lifelong period of discipline. But as that slowly reintegrates, what you realize is that the discipline has become your nature. So the fact that you want to be more grateful, so you have to practice gratitude every single morning for three or four years. And then over time, you're actually like, hang on a second, I'm being grateful here in exactly the same way as I want to be a little bit more muscular. So you start doing weight training. And at the beginning, you don't have muscles. And over time, you're still tr- doing the training and yet your muscles are there to stay. Does that make sense? Mm. And that, that kind of movement between the two. But I, I totally get what you mean, man, that it feels like discipline can be a bit of a burden. And for a lot of people, it is. But I think that's more a, a problem to do with the way that we're brought into this world, like school. So the word school is an ancient Greek word that means play. It doesn't mean education. It doesn't mean place of, you know, like discipline. It means play. And yet, when you go to school, you think, I've got to go to school, not I get to go to school, and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I think discipline and, and the way that we get socialized into that is a big part of it, right? And a lot of people shy away from, you know, their time off their weekends. Oh, you know, I'll just sleep in till 10 o'clock, and I'll do whatever I want, and this, that, and the other. And that's totally sweet. But long-term, over time, if you are disciplined, you actually oddly enough, end up liberating yourself.
1: So with all that being said, this is one of my pet hates with many people's relationship with technology and alcohol will tie into this uh, at a different level as well. But because we're so connected, I feel that everything kind of jumbles through each other. There's like these there's energies and identities that are constantly mixing and I was speaking to my kind of uh, therapist, and we were identifying layers of my character and how I wanted to behave in my business life, my personal life. And I remember listening to an interview with Ant Middleton. Don't know if you've ever spoken to Ant Middleton.
0: No, I had Ollie Ollerton on last week, so his second in command to Ant. But yeah, Ant, Ant's a badass. He's legit.
1: Nice. Um, so I met Ant at the UK Fitness Awards, and I had a little chat with him. Great guy. And then I listened to him on another podcast and he he gave some really polarizing opinions. And there was a couple of things that I kind of disagreed with. And I was like, I can't disagree because I don't know enough context. So I downloaded his book at the beginning of the weekend and I started racing through his audio book, which is brilliant because I love like war stories because it's always like, it's stuff that we, like what I'll say is mortals never get to experience, We're not fucking soldiers. Like, so I love listening to that kind of stuff. And anyway, he talks about, Um, all these layers of everyone's identity and most men will have a problem going from work dude to leader dude to workout dude to dad dude to husband dude because it's all getting muddied of this interconnectedness. And um, I thought it was really good for me because when I look at my life, I want to turn up in a certain way to every environment. And I think, you know, what we're getting at with wanting to develop ourselves is like when you and I go to work, we want to be a certain person and we want to turn up for those five, six, seven, eight hours as a certain person. But as soon as we walk through the door at home, we want to be a slightly different person. But actually, all of that sometimes gets lost. And I never think that or I think that people struggle to live that kind of true self in every environment and perhaps that's the beauty of all of this is developing yourself that you can live to your truest best identity in any given environment.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, there's, there's people that you know that are, arg- that are uh, argumentative at work, and they'll be argumentative at home. You know, there's certain themes that go through people's lives. Um, but again, with this, there's another, this is a Seneca quote that he talks about, the virtuous mean, which is not a vice of deficiency, nor a vice of excess, And I think one of the reasons why people like to go all in, in like work mode and uh, athlete mode and dad mode and all the rest of it is that The same reason it's easier to finish an entire packet of biscuits than it is to just eat one. It's like I'm good at black and white. It's gray area thinking where you have to do a little bit but not too much. Mm. So I need to be a bit of a disciplinarian with my kids, but I also need to give them a bit of love. And I also, at work, I need to care about people. I need to get them to buy into me. But also I've got to treat them as if they are, in one way or another, a little bit children. And then with the wife, I also need to make sure that we're loving and caring, but I also need to stand my own ground, you know, all these different things. It's challenging. That's why life is real difficult. And this is why for me, um, huge, bizarrely, like a huge respect to the people who don't bother to delve into the world of self-development because they're living, you know, by and large from the outside just as effective a life as anybody else but they're not like and they're totally my business partner darren like he'll pick up some of the stuff that i say from the podcast but he doesn't care man he's got two kids two dogs beautiful wife beautiful house And he operates fine, you know, like he functions completely, completely great. But I do think, you know, there's things that all of us can improve on here and there. And I think being true to yourself, as you've mentioned a number of times, you know, enacting your logos, as Jordan Peterson would say, what is your inner truth and how are you speaking it forward into the world? That's what we should be trying to achieve where we can. Mm
1: -hmm. Sorry, that was a little tangent. Um, We did start off talking about alcohol. Let's delve back into alcohol hopefully uh, a few of those things have uh, made us think on the old gray matter already so with alcohol the first show that we kind of talked about we talked about the reasons why you'd done it and what it had led to clearer thinking better routine not getting a groggy head all the kind of stuff that anyone would experience if they stopped taking alcohol for a week you just you'd feel a bit better over time um when you challenge people online what is quite often the roadblocks for people actually committing to what you're saying almost what are they scared of
0: the first problem with people going sober is that alcohol is the only drug where if you don't do it people assume you have a problem there's a branding issue there is a branding issue with sobriety in that the only people that don't drink are presumed to be closet alcoholics and I get messages from people who haven't seen lots of my back-end content or, like, a, a history of my content. And then they'll just come up upon a post that's maybe appeared on the news feed and it says, I'm 10 months sober, I'm 18 months sober, I'm 20 months sober, or whatever it might be. Congratulations so much. I have to say I loved AA. I thought that the support there was great. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like an imposter. Like, I appreciate that. I, I thank you for... Uh, congratulating me but being honest I've never had a problem with substances oh okay Well why what's the reason uh, it's just a productivity tool the same way as people decide to focus on their sleep or their nutrition or their training or whatever it is I took alcohol out of my life is, you might reduce processed foods or you might take out carbs or you might go keto you know like it's just a it's just another tool so challenges that people come up against uh, number one is social influence so they don't want to feel like their friends are going to take the piss out of them because they're not drinking, again, n- going sober. There's kind of this boy club playful, even for girls, this like quite boys club playful. Oh, mate, go on, just have one. And people make up excuses. People are like, oh, I've got the car. It's like you've only driven so that you can say that you don't have to drink because like having the car is one of the few acceptable – like that and being pregnant – are the only two acceptable excuses about why you're not drinking you know so uh social pressures big deal for people right um buttressing of confidence is another one uh, either in groups especially if you're single you know especially if you're single and especially if you're a bloke that's single because as a guy you are expected to be the sexual protagonist right you're expected to go up to to the girls if there are any girls listening who are uh, the ones that start off these conversations in bars and clubs and it doesn't count if you get your friend to go up on your behalf or if you're the friend that's not how it works uh, but if you're one of the girls that goes up and says like i think that you're really good looking or are you single or hi what's your name would you like a drink or any of that you are a very unique individual because for the most part it's men right so men use that dutch courage everyone knows what that's like um after that there's the midweek drinker so you would have someone who has stresses at work they would use their alcohol to deal with that, and their concern would be, well, if alcohol is my coping mechanism and it allows me, I just want to relax, you know, it just helps me relax on a night. They would never say coping mechanism. They would just say, well, you know, it just helps me relax after I've had it. And it's like, uh, that's a coping mechanism. That's what that that's a, that's it by definition. Um, some people would use it to help themselves sleep on a night. Uh, that is just a complete non sequitur because you're not sleeping, you're just sedated. The the uh, research that comes out from um, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, is pretty robust on that, where he says the reason that you have crazy dreams when you've been drinking a lot is because your REM sleep hasn't been able to begin until all of the alcohol has been processed out of your system. And that's why, like, the last couple of hours maybe of a night when you've had a, a few drinks is where you have mad dreams because your body's, your brain's trying to condense all of that down, right? um so that's that's some of the big ones i mean there's tons of other things right there's like
1: so let before we go down more rabbit holes or give more reasons i'm fascinated by the first point because that's obviously a problem for a huge amount of people because a lot of us have certain friend groups and if the friend groups always drink and you don't drink then the friend group dynamic becomes different or difficult and you become maybe quickly the outcast so Like when you've worked with people, what generally happens? Does the person almost think, I'm not sure if these people or some of these people can be my friends anymore because it's like we just go out and drink. But then there's a confidence issue because then where does that person sort of almost get their confidence from? And I suppose it's like anything, once you un- once you reveal a na- layer of the onion, it's like, well, now we need to go to the next layer because you're not actually confident. and so now we need to work on your confidence. You don't need the alcohol in a social situation or with girls or with family or with anything.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got a quote from James Clear here that I've just pulled up. Changing your habits often requires you to change your tribe. Each tribe has a set of shared expectations. Behaviors that conform to the shared expectations are attractive Behaviors that conflict with the shared expectations are unattractive. It's hard to go against the group. So that there shows why we are, we're tribal creatures, you know, there's them and us. That's why football teams and football supporters get, so that's why World Wars are started. You know, that's why there's uh, rivalry between different political factions or religious factions, or whatever it might be. So you're right, the first, the first problem is going to be you're around a bunch of people who are used to you drinking, um but the the way that people that i've worked with a lot of the clients have dealt with it is by finding the friends who they can bear to be around sober and this is a really challenging thing to realize right how many of the friends that you have do you only spend time with when you drink and then think from that group how many of them could you bear to be around without alcohol Like, if the only time that your friends are happy with you being with them is when you're destroying yourself along with them, then you need better friends. And if you find out that the only way you can bear to be around them is by being drunk, then you definitely need better friends. You know, like, be friends with people that want the best for you, people that don't, not just ones that fucking take the path of least resistance, people that just tell you what you want to hear. Like, the point is. To be with people who raise you up, who make you better. And if you say, hey, I'm gonna I'm doing this six month sober challenge thing, I'm gonna do that like 90 days, I'm gonna try and go sober for 90 days. They don't just go, oh fucking hell, mate, why are you pussy? Like, no, like be with the people who go, All right, well, I mean, you know, you're gonna be a bit, bit more boring on a night out, but that's cool. Like it'll be sweet to see how you get on, and I really hope that you do well and this, that, and the other. Um, and again, with that, like as your domain of competence grows, and this is something that's so insidious, man, and this is why people people need to strip away the ego because you can influence someone really negatively if, you, if you're you not careful, right? So that person, I, I, you're one friend, I'm the other. You've come to me and you've said, hey, Chris, I'm thinking about going sober, and I'm the guy that goes, oh, that sounds totally shit. Like, why would you bother doing that? It's, it's Jono's 33rd next week. You can't miss out on Jono's 33rd. You're like, well, his 32nd was fucking wank. Like, why would he be bothered about his 33rd? <laughs> um so you you know but I, you've got that and that this person the me the like shithouse version of me that I've just given you there that could be the barrier that stops you that creates inertia that stops you from making a really important piece of behavior change in your life that would upgrade you make you happier make you healthier and give you more money and time and calories to spend on shit you care about like that's you know you can be that influence in people's lives it doesn't take much to actually be a real positive influence so uh, when people decide to go sober, they need to look at who are the people in the group that support them, you know, as opposed to someone who says that's totally shit. What about the friend that goes, actually, mate? Like, would you, do you reckon I could like do it as well? Do you reckon we could do it together and we're, like be accountability buddies or whatever? Like, how amazing would that be? You know, those are the people who have your best interests at heart, the ones that want that. And the the final point on this is, um, and this goes for all behavior change. It also goes for um, Again, especially a little bit more so with guys because they tend to be quite territorial. Um, But as your domain of competence grows, as a guy or a girl, your domain of competence grows and you start to improve yourself, you're going to hold a very, very harsh mirror up to the bad habits of the people that are around you, and that can cause those people to start to lash out. They can start to say things because your improvement and your progression makes them feel incredibly self-conscious, incredibly worthless because you're pulling ahead. You're like, hang on a second. We, were, we finished uni at the same time, but you, why, how come you bought a house at 26? Oh Well, mate, it's because I've had a car on PCP that cost a grand a month for the last four years or whatever it might be, you know, or why you you lean? Oh, it's because I went to the gym as opposed to just going out and, and having a takeaway every night or pick whatever domain it is, but especially with alcohol because it's inherently so social. As you start to move away from people like that, they can start to lash out, and they'll purposefully, you know, with behaviors that go against the tribe, are, are, are kind of punished. Uh, they'll start to push you out. But the, do you want to be friends with those sorts of people? Like the answer is no. And so many friendship groups are just grandfathered in. They're these like artifacts of a time gone by. Ah, yeah. oh, well. You know, it's when I used to play rugby. Bro, you haven't played rugby in a decade. Like, what are you on about? Like, the only thing that you and these people have in common is the fact that you once did a thing forever ago. And all that you now talk about is that thing you did forever ago. That's totally fine if you want to live a life that's stuck in the past. But if you want to live a life that's constantly moving forward, then allow the waste men and the waste chicks that you've accumulated along the way allow them to fall away and again as you go sober as you do any behavior change start eating more healthily go to the gym do whatever it is that you start to do but specifically with alcohol as you go sober you will start to see the world for what it is and this is why i keep on uh, referring to going sober as taking the ultimate red pill like that you stop seeing matrix and you start seeing code and you realize hang on a second that guy's actually really, really negative or that girl's actually really, really bad for me or that person's always really negative because you start to see the world with clear eyes for the first time. You don't; It's not nerfed by alcohol and all your inhibitions going out the window, you know?
1: Mm. Well, that is quite often one of the hardest elements of change is looking at your environment and having to sort of potentially slowly move away from friendship groups and I've done it loads I left uni well I left school and probably had two friends once I left school because I changed an awful lot from school when I left uni um, what was the what was the big change well the big first change was that I was the obese fat acting lad at school and then I became the fit guy that lost five and a half stone and became a personal trainer so I completely shifted identity and changed my life so it was didn't know those people anymore they didn't know me um and then when I left uni, probably left uni with like five or six people that you keep in touch with. But at uni, you've got bazillions of friends, but all of those friends are transient sports teams, clubs, all the rest of it. And um, I think that's quite often the beautiful thing of life, that friends come and go, experiences happen and they go. And, I, you know, if you have five best friends in your life, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you don't have to have a best friend for 50 years. Like You can do. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with having, you know, five different best friends as you evolve through life and you're interested in different things and you have kids and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's fearful for some people was there's probably a level of self worth there to say, Well, what if I don't find a new best friend? What if I don't find a new buddy to go, you know, to the pub with or whatever? It's almost like, Well if I leave that friend, will another one come?
0: <laughs> yeah, well it's a scarcity mindset, right? As opposed to an abundance mindset. And um, I, I totally get it, right? Being on your own is is a challenge, and I have an s- extra amount of sympathy for the people that are listening who are in lockdown that are extroverts. You know, I'm so fortunate now to be an introvert because for me, I've been socially distancing for 32 years. I've been practicing social distancing since the day I was born, um, but. I appreciate, and I've had a, no, a lot of messages from people who are saying, man, I'm struggling with the lack of social connection here. Like this is this is really challenging. And to you, my heart goes out. Uh, some easy hacks, FaceTime people more, do Skype calls more, uh, make sure that you're organizing like consistent chats with people all the time to give you that sense of that semblance of, of like being with people and stuff like that. Um, but on the flip side of that as well, like extroverts have an unfair advantage. Every other period of life that isn't a pandemic lockdown um, because you get to network more easily and you tend to go out more and socialize more and stuff like that. So this is, this is a little bit of repayment for that. But uh, yeah, man, people hold on to friendships, you know, they hold on to friendships that are so bad for them. And um, I think, I think questioning that, like why are these people in my life, you know, like being taking a minimalist approach is someone might with their possessions to their friendships because like, two bad friendships is worse than – is very, very bad. Like two bad friendships where you've got two people who are impacting you negatively, that is like leading you astray – Maybe maybe you've got a bunch of buddies who are still party, party boys. Maybe you're getting towards, like, your late 20s or your early 30s or whatever. And these guys are still weekend warriors. They're still getting a couple of bags in on a weekend. And, all right, mate, let's go. We're going to the dock house in Leeds this weekend. Like, such and such a DJ is playing or whatever it might be. And you're like, yeah, bro. Like, you know, that was fun when we were 22. But... You know, I kind of, I kind of actually want to try and find a Mrs. and settle down. now. I really actually want to try and find a a, a boyfriend who I, who I could move in with, or whatever it might be, right? Like people are scared of leaving those people behind. It's like, well, what's out there for me? It's like there's fucking tons of people that are out there for you. It's just a case of letting go of the ones that you don't
1: need anymore. Mm. So when we were chatting on WhatsApp before um, this podcast, we talked about what I felt my relationship with alcohol was before this. So mm. we've talked about alcohol in its broadest sense and how people sort of use it, generally escapism. Um, and I think escapism is something I, I want to make sure we uh, include in today's show because I think that's a fascinating topic. And I don't know what level of escapism is, is healthy because I think sometimes everyone wants to experience things out of their own body to an extent. It's almost a little bit fun. Um so my relationship with alcohol probably have between 3 and 5 to 6 drinks a week and I sort of said to you you know I think it's a healthy relationship I have like one can of beer um it's quite often like before a meal with a meal with the missus never have more than two drinks because I just hate feeling tired the next day don't knock down with any of that I don't want it to affect my performance um And you were like, oh, cool. I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. Because obviously Mm. anyone's relationship with anything is how they want to deal and manage their own life at any given time. Um, I don't think my alcohol relationship has changed with lockdown. It's literally been exactly the same. Like I didn't have a beer last night, but I had a beer the night before. Then a glass of champagne with my wife the night before that. Um, Okay. So why? Why did you have them? Why did um, you have the beer? So tell, me, so tell me why you had the
0: beer first.
1: Yeah, sure. So my three reasons are I absolutely love sort of craft beer. So I never drink the same beer. I always drink a different beer from a different part of the world, all different sours, stouts, IPAs, nipers, all these what's things. Some of
0: your, what's some of your picks? What's some of your favorites that you've had recently?
1: Oh, Jesus. Um, oh, there's a lot. Uh, favorites. It's hard when you have a different one every day. <laughs> I was going to say, well, you, you're going to have to remember. You only ever get to see them once and then it's in the bin. Yeah, but I literally, I'm literally I've d- already drunk So like where are you getting beers. them
0: from? Have you got like, is it like a, a service of some kind, like a subscription service or are you just going online and searching like coolipas.com or something?
1: Yeah, no, no, I've subscribed to a company called Beer 52 and they sell 12 beers every month with a magazine. The magazine's all about the craft beer movement and how it's evolving and my brother got me into it. And before that, I drank shitty lager like everyone else. And then he opened up my eyes and I was like, mate. And it's like good <laughs> wine. You start to enjoy the complexity of it. So I really enjoy just having a beer, like and exploring beer as a as a thing. I love the taste. I love bitter taste. Um, it's my In favorite. Some somebody
0: of- Somebody might really enjoy different types of meats or different types of chocolates or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I, hey, I, I get it, man. Okay. So you yeah. had that. And then why did you have the champagne? What was the reason for the champagne?
1: Uh, me and the wife wanted to celebrate our daughter being four weeks old. Woohoo! Exactly. Yes, man. That's, well, I mean, that, that is, that is a, a,
0: a pretty good reason. Um, so, you know, I think, and since our discussion last year where you talked about this as well, I think you have a very, it seems very um, balanced relationship with alcohol. I don't think that there's anything other than the inherent enjoyment of the taste. And based on what you've said, not the effect uh, being the reason you have it. Right. So second
1: reason. Yep. You know, when you you used to have sort of afternoon drinking, you'd go out, you know, you just get a little bit loose, have a bit of fun, but you don't really affect the next day. So I, uh, my sort of half an hour quite often to myself, especially now is it be 5.30, I'm about to cook dinner, crack open a beer, put on some loud tunes, and I literally dance around the kitchen. Dance around the get kitchen, ever man. Ever so slightly tipsy, because it's only one beer. You know, I don't drink a lot these days. And it's kind of like I get a chance to just feel a little bit loose, a little bit like, whoop, whoop, But then you sit down for dinner, have a normal conversation, and you're, you're, sober, you're, you're sober by 8 p.m. Or, so, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like this like half an hour of escapism, like pure relaxation. I dance around the kitchen, and, you know, when you sort of challenged me on WhatsApp, you didn't challenge me, but I knew you were going to challenge me. So in my head, I was already challenging myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but why not? It was fun. Didn't have any negative side effects. I enjoyed it. Didn't cost a lot. Didn't damage anyone. Put a smile on my face. And I, I was like, I was trying to pick apart the habit. So, um, yeah, do with that what you may. That's two.
0: And then what's number three? Or was that number
1: three? Uh, they're my only two reasons.
0: Okay. Um, okay. So first off, you're one of the most challenging people to convince to go sober because your relationship with alcohol is not destructive. And also you're very cognizant about the reasons of why you drink. Uh, first off, I would say that you are an outlier in terms of the way that people have a relationship with alcohol. I would wager that a lot of the people that are listening will drink more, more frequently with less control and more regrets than you do. So Anyone that's had a hangover within the last month that, well, actually it's probably, probably a bad shout given that we're in lockdown, but anyone that has hangovers consistency, consistently where they think to themselves, oh God, this sucks. You are choosing for that to happen. There is an asymmetry with drinking, right? I'll, I'll get back to you in a second. I'm coming for you in a second, Ben, but I'm going to get the people that are listening first. There's an asymmetry with drinking, right? And you get exponentially increasing suffering the more that you drink and you get diminishing returns of enjoyment the more that you drink so if you have five drinks right and then you double that to 10 you don't have double the fun as you had when you had five but you have more than double the hangover Does that make sense Mm. yeah so the curve of one of them goes up like that and the curve of the other one goes down like that That, my friend, is called a fucking losing position. If you were a trader and you knew that every trade that you were going to put on was going to make a loss, because that's what it is. It is a loss, right? You would be very bankrupt very fast. And people that drink heavily and consistently, uh, especially the ones that aren't doing it consciously, cognizant about it, you're doing that with your health. You're doing that with your health. You're doing that with your consistency, consistency within life, your routine, your structure, your mindset, all that stuff. Uh, right now, I'm coming for you. Coming back to you. Um, so again, very balanced, which I like. Um, the few remaining arguments that I've got. One of them is from health. Okay. So there's a study from the Lancet, and it's this the largest comorbidity study of alcohol that's ever been. There may be a new one by now. This is back in 2017, 2018. Uh, And alcohol was found to be the single largest influence on non-disability adjusted life years for people under the age of 40. What that means is that every drink you have brings you closer to death. At the very best, it keeps your life the same length. There's a lot of people, like wives' tales back in the day of touting around, wow, there's resveratrol in the red grapes that come into red wine, so actually it's it's life-lengthening. There is some resveratrol in there. There are also some other antioxidants and things like that. However, that is offset and more by the increased cancer risk. And this is done in a study that covered over 100 territories, covered, over, it covered millions of people over years and years and years. Super long-form uh, study. Right, massive, absolutely massive. And anyone just search the Lancet, L-A-N-C-E-T, uh, alcohol, and um, the, the the numbers are scary, man. So you have to consider: Am I prepared to shorten my life by however much it's going to be? You don't know how much it's going to be. Uh, am I prepared to shorten my life for the price to uh, pay the price of shortening my life for the the profit of of having this beer? So that's the first one. Second one is. If you decide to go sober in a world which is telling you to drink, in a society which has completely embraced the norm of drinking and alcohol is not even seen as a drug and going sober is seen as something that's done by people who have substance addiction problems. If you are able to go sober in that world for an extended period of time and stay disciplined, the deck of cards starts to tumble after that for other behavior change challenges that you come up against. Because if you can go sober, what else can't you do? You can literally do anything that you want because going sober is very challenging. Now, it's less challenging than people believe. It's a lot less challenging than people believe, actually, especially once you get going. Same as anything, the most hard, most difficult bit about behavior change is getting over the inertia at the beginning. It's deprogramming all of the existing structures. But once you start to do it, you actually think, like, if you can go sober for six months, right, As a young guy or girl, in fact, just as an any guy or girl, if you can go sober for six months, what else can't you do? There's not much more in terms of behaviour change that people would think is harder than that. Oh, I need to stop cracking my knuckles. Oh, I need to stop having, like, a piece of chocolate on a night. It's like, bro, you went sober for half a year when the entire planet drinks alcohol. How many people do you think have gone sober for half a year? Like, in the Western, typical Western world, normal people, normal physiology, you're talking single digit percent of people who go sober at all for more than six months in their entire adult life. So that puts you so much further ahead, right? So that's that's the second thing. First thing, what was the first thing? I can't remember my first thing.
1: Health. Health, the Lancet report.
0: Yes, thank you. Second thing, as we've just gone through there, what was that one?
1: Uh, Just what else can you achieve? Yep.
0: Deck of cards. Third thing. What's the third thing?
1: I hope you're not gonna ask me about that because you haven't said it yet.
0: I haven't said it yet, no. What was the third <laughs> th- Ah that was it? That was it. Right, okay. So two different iterations of the universe. So we've got I'm ready to caffeine. Caffeine levels just dipped below where it needs to be, you know. I just need someone to run in with a <laughs> IV. Um so two different iterations of the universe, right? We've got Ben Coomber in, in universe one. We've got Ben Coomber in universe two. Everything else is the same. Ben Coomber in universe one continues to drink. Ben Coomber in universe two stops drinking. What is the difference six months, 12 months down the line between these two people? Now, the main question that you need to ask yourself, like let's forget the stuff about health. Let's forget the stuff about the behavior change. Cause that's quite long term, right? If, You say, if I ask you this question to the listeners at home, like consider it as well. Like, what would happen if you went sober for six months? What would happen if you drank three nights a week for six months or two nights a week for six months? Where would you be? Where would you be financially, health wise, mindset, uh, friends, you know, um, weight, all that sort of stuff? Where would you be in six months' time? Where would you be in 12 months' time? What's the difference between those two? And if you can see. If it makes you first off, if it's making you feel uncomfortable that I'm saying this to you, then you really, really need to consider what your relationship with alcohol is like. Because the reason that you're feeling uncomfortable, the reason you've got that visceral response in your stomach and it makes you feel, ah, fuck this guy, fucking Love Island prick, what's he on about? Like, that's because you know that the real truth is that you would be a better version of you in six months' time if you stopped drinking. Um and that you can then layer back on, okay, let's compound this down the line. How much better would my approach, my belief in behavior change be? How much more could I achieve in the future? I have more time, money, and calories to spend on things that I truly care about. Now, those are almost all of people's problems in the 21st century come from either too much or a lack of those three things, time, money, and calories. And that's what I refer to in Six Months Sober as the key three. So it's the key three benefits of sobriety. Um, Consistency is another one, but I didn't want to call it core four because someone's uh, someone's already trademarked that. Um, but you've got these things, right? And it's like, look, what would the difference be between those two? So I'll ask you, like, do you think that there would be a marked difference in the way that you operate in six months' time if you decided to cut out the twelve to twenty-four beers per month? Because I mean, you know, you'll know. What's the beers? The beers that you'll be having will probably be what, 300 calories, maybe three to 400 calories each, unless they're a stubby.
1: No, they're only a small can, so like 150 good. calories. Okay, okay, so, so it's, it's not a lot. Yeah, yeah, not 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 tons. Same but as yeah, a Magnum so Mini, bro. It's all th- same as a Magnum Mini,
0: bro. <laughs> fuck, I, I tell you what, Magnum <laughs> Mini is good. Yeah. Um, so okay, you, you know what I mean? Like you can see that, right? Yeah. What's where? Where's where's the difference? Oh, is there a noticeable difference between those two bends?
1: I will go deeper into that, but I don't think so. So, financially, not an issue. My beer box is like 32 quid a month. I'm happy with that, like, whatever. Um, Socially, wouldn't change a lot. There's people in my family that don't drink, there's people in my family that do drink. Everyone's a lifestyle drinker. You know, they'll just have a glass of wine, they'll have a beer. No one drinks to like excess in any capacity. When me and my mates go out, we have like literally one or two beers we all drive like it you know it doesn't matter we all enjoy a pint of ipa that's it like we're done like there's no drinking culture in our in my friendship group um would it change my enjoyment and the level of escapism ever so slightly but that's because alcohol you know just relaxes your body It, it heightens things it doesn't ever impact on my sleep because so I don't allow it to. Like I literally have a, a, a stop gauge. Like if I'm in a pub and someone says to you want a third beer, like I'm, I'd literally just walk out the door because I know what that means for me. So I don't think so. But I will explore and go deeper on that in case I'm giving the answer that I want to give.
0: Yeah, and again, we, we loop back to your discussion with from you and your therapist, which is what is my truth, right? Because a lot of the time – and we're kind of going real meta with this for people that are maybe a little bit more new to behavior change, but, um, in the, in the simplest way possible, you don't necessarily know what your brain, what is best for your body. And also your brain is really good at telling you lies that you want to believe. So a lot of the time you will give yourself a reason, which is the first reason that comes to mind or the most convenient reason that comes to mind, which is a proxy, a very convenient proxy for the truth. Super easy to swallow, doesn't actually ask you the hard question. And what you're doing there is you're trying to unearth, you're trying to strip off all that ego, yeah. get rid of all that, and say, right, okay, no, 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 yeah, that's Ben, that's what the that's the first answer you gave. What's the real answer? That might be the same, but it might not. And again, for the people that are listening, this is something that you should consider, right? Are you giving yourself the easy answer? you telling yourself just what you want, essentially telling yourself what you want to hear, and then passing that off as the truth, and being like, yeah, 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 fucking... I know what I want about Dickhead from Love Island. Um, so, again, my main point here is that you are the outlier amongst most people's drinking habits. Like, if you were to say to people, do you spend more or less than £30 a month on average on alcohol – huge swaths of people are going to be well above that. 30 quid is like a round of Jager bombs in London, you know, Mm. like, uh, and it's like one drink in New York. I was in New York a year ago today. So I'm sad. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's it's, the financial thing, big difference. The fact that you have your, um, drinking under control because you've got hard lines in the ground. So, um, let me just pivot for a second, because that's a really good point, actually, to give people some tacit takeaways on how they can start to control their own drinking. So uh, first off, if you want to have a course that will guide you through it, sixmonthsober.com slash podcast will take you to uh, everything that we've spoken about. But um, one of the easiest ways to think about your drinking habits is to do exactly what Ben's done and to set what I call bright lines. It's known in behavior changes, bright lines. And it is um, a rule that you stick to no matter what. And the reason that that works especially well with alcohol is that alcohol is what I've termed an inhibition reduction echo chamber. It means that every drink you have makes not having a subsequent drink more difficult. We've all been there, right? One drink turns into two, turns into five, turns into a bottle of wine, turns into a kebab and a scrap at three in the morning and wake up with a hangover and all that stuff. You know, like classic. classic. I was just going, I just popped out. And it ended up out, out. you know, like that that classic old like comedy sketch. So like the easiest solution for this is to do what you've done. And you've stumbled upon what I consider as someone who's living in this space to be the most effective way to control drinking if you're not going to go totally sober. Um, I still think that because of the health effects, because of the fact that it sets you up for strong behavior change long term, uh and also because the two different versions tend will almost always tend toward the person that goes sober being further ahead um i still think that a period of focused sobriety is good but if you're just going to reduce um then that's the way to do it the way to do it is that and you know i have to kind of the elephant in the room is that i've seen a million people go into my club nights so i am both Judge, jury, executioner, marketer, and guy stood on the front door of the courthouse letting everybody in. Um, my entire industry, my business, the house is paid for by people coming to my club nights and getting drunk. And a lot of the time people uh, bring up a what they might see as a little bit of a contradiction. And how can you be a club promoter and also be an advocate for productive sobriety or elective sobriety as it's called? I'm like, well, I don't have a problem with people drinking. I actually think that it's a very important rite of passage, especially for young people. You know, you need to know you're 20 years old. Like, People message all the time. Hey, bro, love the podcast. I'm 20 years old thinking of doing six months sober. What do you think? I'm like, mm, maybe do the like the 28 day or the 90 day thing if you want. But being honest, you probably still got a lot to learn from being drunk. You need to know what it's like to have an argument with your mate at three in the morning and lose your keys in Manchester. Like, you need to know, right, because that is a representative experience which allows you to relate to people when you're older. Like, you will have, especially as someone who played sports, like when you were at uni and all this sort of stuff, you'll have just endless numbers of these stories, and it's kind of, it is a rite of passage. It's par for the course. You kind of got to have it, Right. Now, there's a, a more societal change question where you could say, well, could we get rid of alcohol altogether? Should we potentially make it illegal? If alcohol was introduced today, it would be a class A in terms of toxicity, addiction, all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's, that's quite scary in itself. But the societal change thing, it ain't happening, right? Once, once something's got brought in and the values have been reduced down, which they have, they don't get taken back. So alcohol's not going anywhere. We're not going to have another uh, – what was that thing? What was that thing in America where they got rid of it all? Prohibition. Yes, prohibition. Um, so you need to drink, bizarrely, actually, to have like those relatable experiences that take you through later life. My problem is seeing someone who still drinks like a 20-year-old at 40 years old, 50 years old, because all the work that they've done with mind and body and spirit throughout the week – You know, they've got themselves to the gym. They've just about got over the hangover on a Monday from the weekend, and they've got themselves in the gym. And, oh, well, I'm eating right, and I'm doing this, that, and the other, and I've made these sacrifices, right? I've done sacrifice throughout the week. I've worked hard. And it gets to Thursday, and they're thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm feeling better. My mind's feeling better. I'm feeling fresh. And it gets to a Friday, and they think, I've worked so hard this week. Better reward myself with two heavy nights out that reset all of the progress and the sacrifices that I made during this week. And seeing someone repeat that cadence for a decade or two decades or three decades is a tragedy to me. Like, it makes me so sad, man. Like, especially coming from, I'm from Stockton on Tees, so it's like the the arse end of Middlesbrough, which is, you know, hardly like the most affluent area in the world anyway. And to see, I just, I, I used to see these, these people who had so much potential right and who who the fuck are you to judge on what people choose to do with their lives? I'm like, don't get me wrong, like people can choose to do whatever they want, but I don't think they're choosing. I think that they're taking the path of least resistance, which is just a groove that's being cut from when they were a kid, and then they've grown up and they've never decided to deprogram this this desire to drink. they've never decided, ah oh, well, I'm actually going to see if I'm choosing to drink if I'm just doing it because it's what people do and um yeah man it makes me it makes me sad you know it makes me sad that we've got We've got a world where um, some brilliant people could be a lot happier uh, if they hadn't continued to reset their progress every single weekend with a couple of heavy nights out. And it's like you get one shot at life, like one shot to get everything right, to experience the things you want to experience, to be with the people you want to be with. And you're choosing to take something and it's not even enhancing the situation Like, if you were to choose something, I don't even know what the drug would be. Maybe, I guess, maybe like caffeine, perhaps, that would make you more more present, more focused onto the obviously not too much. Um, But alcohol, actually, bizarrely, it's memory loss. It's nerfing uh, your emotions. It's sedating you and making you go to sleep. It's doing all of these things. And, like, just to finish this section here, there's a concept called living with the edge. Um, and this is this is something that's quite interesting. And this is actually coming straight out of the six month sober course. So if you go through life leaning on alcohol for support by using it to make stressful times less bad and good times more numb, you will lead a life completely void of edges. Now edges are dangerous if you fall off them, but they're also the most exciting place to be. Standing near that edge is when you learn the most. You make the most memories. Looking back on your life, you'll find that you spent all your time in the middle 50% of experience richness. That will be a very dull place to be. So some, some things for you there.
1: So, you know, I said I had three reasons. I just remembered the third. Now you've read that out. Hit me. So firstly, I've always had rules. So part of this for me comes down to what else people want to experience in their lives. When I was at uni, I went out three times a week without fail at uni. Monday night, it was a fucking blinding night. Where did, sugar. where did you go to uni? Hull. Okay, yeah, 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 cool. Great nightlife, dead cheap, anyway. Attic, uh,
0: Attic in Hull. Is it Attic? Yeah, it like yeah. Like a yeah. lava it, ignite or whatever when you were there.
1: Yeah, yeah. At, attic, didn't go there much because it was a bit more kind of like emo, rock sort of. Okay, got you. And I've, I've always been more electronic. Uh, Wednesday night with sports team. So that, again, it was a rite of passage. You know, lads, lads, like lads, girls, girls, girls. Yeah. Um. No regrets there. And then Thursday night was the big sort of dancey club, get dressed up, have a good time. Cool. But I'd always say to myself, right, at 2 a.m., as soon as I get that vibe, the party's dying off. I'm out. I used to walk home with a litre of water because everywhere was like a 20-minute walk in Hull. I used to walk home with a litre of water, grab a grilled chicken kebab on the way home. and <laughs> ben, ben, you do realise how unrepresentative your
0: relationship with alcohol is though right like there's no one listening that's going yeah yeah that was me at university <laughs> everyone's going what a fucking freak like you know that's that's not how people live their lives i
1: know, I know again but my point it's... is if you create those rules you can live between both extremes so i'd be the guy that was up at seven o'clock in the morning i'd go to the gym then i'd go to uni then i'd go and work on my business in the afternoon <laughs> at uni but it was about making those decisions before you entered into the experience right like I'm, I'm going out tonight, but I'm going home by one or I'm having three drinks or I'm, you know, whatever those decisions are for you and your life. Bright lines, bright lines. And I just, and it's because, you know, when I was younger, I always read the books of people that had seen and created success and seen failure. And they all had these rules. Like everyone had some kind of system that they had to live by to get the output in their life that they wanted. Um, so, the third reason was actually uh, memory. So I love festivals. I go to at least two festivals every summer. Absolutely lose my marbles, have tons of fun, get covered you, in mud. Where do you tend to go? Uh, we quite often go to one local to us called Sundown in Norfolk. It's got a great dance lineup. But I've been everywhere: Glastonbury, like I've been to like probably I went to Croatia last year. It was incredible. Four days, non-stop. The hideout. No, we went to Hospitality Records' first uh, All right, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Hospitality's yeah. legit, man. There's some good artists on that label.
1: Oof, I'd love to get a hideout as well. Oof. But anyway, so I listen to a lot of drum and bass. So when I have a beer, I'm making dinner, and I'm listening to those, mu- those tunes that all come from the festival, I just get to spend 15 or 20 minutes reliving the experience of the festival. And I, for mm. me... I just get that moment where, I remember when we did that. Remember when he jumped off that thing. Remember when he played that track. And I love that experience. It gives you such a nice energy being able to relive beautiful moments in your everyday life. Why couldn't you do
0: that without the alcohol?
1: Uh, I could. I definitely could. It's just you kind of get that relaxedness and, you you know, just that moment escapism. It's that moment where you're actually like, Oh, for a moment, I feel like I'm drunk. I feel like I'm there. I feel like I just don't give a fuck about anything.
0: Mm. Okay, so here we go. Here's bonus round. Bonus round on reasons why I'm going to try and convince you, right? (laughs) Um, The final one is that by using alcohol to exogenously give you a sensation, you will never learn to be able to create it yourself. Now, that's not to say you've just said that I could do it, right? But alcohol just makes it a bit better. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, if you were forced to go sober for a period, you would have to learn to be able to recreate that without the buttress of alcohol. And it's the same for the guy who can only go up and talk to girls when he's absolutely hammered, right? That was me. That, that still mostly is me, which is probably why I'm single after 18 months or 20 months of sobriety. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not I've, got, I've got a fantastic Instagram game. Um, So, uh, but yeah, like if that's a guy who, who has to have the alcohol to go up and speak to the girl, if you don't ever go sober, you will never actually cultivate the ability to go up and speak to the girl. You will never actually develop the confidence to be able to talk in a group sat around a table having dinner. You will never be able to, you know, people who who drink to have a difficult discussion with their partner or people that drink to be able to deal with the way that their boss talks to them at work so that they can relax on a nighttime or the stresses of being a young entrepreneur or whatever, pick whatever it is. For as long as you use alcohol as your support system, as the scaffolding that's in there, right? Like you're never actually cultivating what it is that you need to get through that situation. Mm-hmm. Because you're just relying on alcohol as the buttress. Now, again, the challenge with you is that it's a very holistic, non-destructive um, reason of why you're, or why you're doing it. And it's not as if you're not doing it because um, you've got a crazy aggression that you need to chill out. By that because you just want to fight everybody in the street or so you know some other kind of malignant version of you it's not that it's just a just adding a flavor on top of reality but again with all of these situations you can see how those four areas that i've taken us through you know there are you are by far and away an anomaly for that to not be one of the one of those things triggering and going fucking hell actually mate yeah like, do you know what it is? I do, I do, I do do that because I just I have a bad day at work and I have to sink like three beers on a night time, or else I can't sleep, or I can't sleep unless I drink, or you know, whatever it is. Pick pick your reason from what we've gone through.
1: Mm. And this isn't me trying to be like high and mighty or any of that for the listeners. I want people to know that there is a middle ground that ultimately has to work for everyone, and you have to be happy. And like you probed with me, it's like, could we get any more positive outcomes from you making changes? And if I can hand on heart say, no, I feel every layer of my relationship with it is fine, then as a coach, you would be happy with that. But if I then said, oh, actually, yeah, fuck, that's when we need the intervention. That's when we need kind of change. And sometimes you have to go to the extreme to find out where your middle ground is. Mm. And sometimes people don't get that with self-development. And that's why I quite like, going all in on stuff. Like if I did feel I was having a poor relationship, I would be the guy to go, cool, I'll give up alcohol or whatever. Like, cause I want to see what's on the other, other side of that shit. It's the same with fitness. Like I've, I've been at the point where I've gone to the gym every day without fail for two hours a day, cardio, core weights, relentlessly nonstop to know that I don't fucking want to do that. Actually, I just want to go to the gym three days a week and that's, that's cool. Mm. So sometimes People have to go to the extreme, but you have to have the awareness to pull yourself out and find where your own middle ground is.
0: Well, what did we say at the beginning? I had that Wu Wei uh, quote about the Confucian gentleman, right? The person who has to do the thing consciously. You have to deprogram what you're doing unconsciously, choose to do something consciously, and that actually enables you to be spontaneous in a way that's fully, uh, completely internalized, right? It's you choosing to drink choosing to drink from like its actual core and not only choosing to drink but being able to give me like a pretty robust breakdown of like why you drink which for the vast majority of people before this conversation that might not have been the truth like are you are you uncovering the reasons why you do the things that you do and that goes from everything like why is it that you get upset about the fact that your partner doesn't text you back immediately like, that's a good question, to because, uh, you know, this is a whole new, f- like, uh, whirlwind that we've, we can decide to jump into. But, you know, why, why is that? Or why is it that you um, always catastrophize a situation? Or why is it, for the entrepreneurs that are listening, why is it that you have to work all of the time and you are terrified of taking a day off? or that you feel like you should always be progressing and always be growing in your personal development. Why is it that? Could it be deep down that you don't feel like you're good enough and that the only way that you can get people to need you and to want you and to become better is to constantly be layering new skills and new achievements and new accomplishments on top of yourself, you know? And this is what at the very, very beginning when you were talking about, like, is this my truth? This is the onion that we're talking about when it comes to personal development and behavior change, right? It's like you strip away one thing or you even like cut a big fat segment out of it. You cut a wedge out of your onion and you're like, oh God, conquered alcohol there. Did that six-month sober thing? It was brilliant. You're right, like, all right, okay, Um you have got another 500 different areas of your life precisely like alcohol that you're going to have to jump into. You're going to have to do your relationship with your Partner, with your parents, with your friends. Oh, and by the way, what about your health and your fitness and your mindset and the way that you view your body and the way that you view you. And you just go. And this is why it's a lifelong thing. And this is why I think that you know, trying to cultivate a growth mindset, as Carol Dweck would say, to continue to want to become better, to do all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think it's it's the it's one of the most important personality traits that you're going to get. the 21st century and you know hopefully today we've started to get people to question some of their assumptions around alcohol like why am i drinking is it serving me and um you know as a coping mechanism especially now to finish up i know you wanted to mention this to do with quarantine like a lot of people don't have much else going on they think oh well i'll make my night a bit more exciting make my night a bit more interesting by having a having a drink it's like well okay again Why? Why is your life not sufficiently exciting without this exogenous, like, injection of alcohol, of of something to make it more, oh, it just helps me relax. Well, okay, so you're telling me that you can't relax without alcohol. Well, no, 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 I don't mean that. Well, it sounds like that's what you're saying. That's what your actual answer is telling me, right? Your answer is telling me I can't relax. Your answer is telling me that I can't have fun without alcohol. And pick your thing. I can't deal with a global pandemic without a drink, you know? Like, it's... I like the idea of an ascetic life, A-S-C-E-T-I-C, which is people that renounce particular things. I love the idea of an ascetic life because it allows you to see what you're like without it, you know, allows you to see. And you mentioned this about going all in on things, and Jordan Peterson's got something about this as well, where he says about with young entrepreneurs, says "In in your 20s, you should see if you can work 12 hours a day, six days a week. You should. You should see if you can do it. And then you should see if you can do four hours a day, two days a week. You should allow your discomfort to be pulled in one direction and pulled in another because the type B person would find the first situation a fucking nightmare. But a type A person like yourself, if I said, Ben, you're allowed to work eight hours total next week, it would kill you. It would turn you inside out you go, oh God, hang on a second, like this is really challenging here. So all of these different things, relinquishing control of control, relinquishing control of working, relinquishing control of leisure, of alcohol, of uh, comfort food, of a relationship, being on your own, being forced to be on your own, all this sort of thing. Each time that you do this, if you view it as a situation that you can learn from, okay, yeah, this sucks, but... What's the lesson that I've learned? How much better and how much more robust and resilient can I be moving forward having had this situation? I'm like, you know, if you cultivate that mindset, nothing actually becomes a problem. It's just a particular challenge that you need to find a solution to. And after you've found that solution, after you've got through the other side, you have a a lesson that you've learned. And then that lesson you can use again in the future.
1: Mm. Mate, this has been absolutely awesome. Where can people find you? I know you've already mentioned it. 6monthsober.com.
0: 6monthsober.com slash podcast if you're interested in that. Modern Wisdom is the podcast. So check it out if you enjoy the sort of things I'm talking about here. I have far more interesting and and well-educated people than me uh, doing the same thing, just red pilling me daily on the podcast. We do three episodes a week at the moment. So, yeah, search Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, or at ChrisWillX wherever you – go online. Um, and that's pretty much it. I think that's that's everything, man. Thank you so much for having me back on, dude. I uh, I really hey. appreciate it. And again, I, I have to say, like, the the um, opportunity that you gave me whenever it was a year and a bit ago, a couple of years ago, when we, we first started recording, it made a big difference to the podcast. So I've got a lot to thank you for.
1: Awesome, man. Mate, I've listened to a couple of episodes of yours. It's, it's great. It's deep. It's deep. Um, and I like that
0: there's um, some I did one with a porn star I did one with a girl that started VIP and I recently did one with a man that spent a million pounds on drugs so you are right there's some intellectual ones but every so often <laughs> you can just find out oh I love the one with the, I at the one with a porn star I at the, the one with the with the guy that spent a million quid on drugs but you are right there's some there's some that go that go fairly deep
1: but that's good if people want that that's exactly the place to go and uh yeah mate big supporter big fan and uh I'm always grateful to speak to you because I just there's a lot of exploration that our own mind want our own mind wants to have with each other and I think that's a good thing and I'm more than happy to be challenged on any of my fucking <laughs> shit because if I don't choose to challenge it I don't grow and you know people might sometimes think it's almost a self-serving thing well partly it is because it's my podcast and it's my exploration of health and fitness so I get to make the fucking rules <laughs> Second thing is, if people follow, it's the right level of context. So if you listen to me last week and you listen to me next week, you get to hear the journey, you get to hear the gaps, you get to hear the kinks, and I get to constantly paint this picture where you can see what I'm trying to work through because otherwise you don't allow yourself to really understand who I am and what I'm working through through the podcast and through the experts and stuff. And also... I need to be vulnerable for everyone else to be vulnerable you need to be vulnerable for the people that are going through your program to be vulnerable um without vulnerability we don't grow so what you've talked about today is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable it's going to make them vulnerable to the future to themselves you've got to you've got to embrace that and i think this is why I often say we don't need to celebrate and broadcast every front online because whatever change you want to make can be very personal. Like if you want to go and do Chris's program, then you don't have to announce it to the world. You don't even have to tell your girlfriend if you don't want to. For now, just, you know, log on, you know, watch the first video and just be like, I'm just going to have a look at this. I'm just going to challenge it. And then when you feel more confident, you can then start to share things with the world. And we do get into a bit of a habit of like, Oh, start a new diet i'll post it on Car- uh, on facebook and then karen gets involved and shirley gets some fuck involved and then everyone's already feeling judged because they've put it out on social media so no one needs to be uh, involved in this stuff if it just needs to be your journey with yourself for now so um take kind of comfort in that but chris thanks again for your wisdom legend brother
0: thank you so much thank you to everyone that's tuned in i think the synopsis to what you just said there was like you know you need to see me last week and you need to see me next week, I think the synopsis to that is press subscribe
1: to Ben Coomber Radio. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Hopefully they're already subscribed. Jesus.
0: Yeah, well, man, I keep on getting – I can see the back end. I People that listen to podcasts, you think I can't see you on the back end. I can see you on the back end, an Apple Podcasts Connect metric, and I can see how many people are subscribing and how many aren't. There's 30% of you that still need to hit the button, and you're just, you're just getting it delivered, aren't you? You're just checking when you choose to check and swiping up. No, go press the button. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Boom. Right, people, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it around, send it to a friend, raise discussion around it. Reach out to Chris, give him a high five, say hello to him. He's a great guy. Um, if you want to see a good rig, then you you know you you're better off going to see Chris's Instagram. <laughs> you are not getting a good rig um, on my Instagram, but I'll be honest, I'm doing half decent on the dad bond front.
0: Bro, you are you're in a total new league now.
1: You have a total
0: total new league.
1: Uh, at least I get to bring out the dad bod program at some point, which everyone does. That would be that would be sick but I'm not going to do it so whatever shame Chris, legend everyone listening all that leaves me to say is go and have an awesome day goodbye